All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Galatians 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Galatians 5. Pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. So much in this chapter, and Paul's very, uh, well, he's on fire. and uh, it's, a, it's an important topic. So God, I pray that you'd help us to have ears to hear, to be open and receptive to everything you have for us tonight, that your word would rule, and that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of strong, Paul's strongest letters, I would say, uh, as he tries to correct the Galatians. The Galatians have come under attack from legalism. I call it an attack. Paul calls it an attack. They would call it um, evolution. They're, uh, they're moving Christianity into an, another level, and uh, they're not. It's, it's regression. And so Paul is emphatically, from a distance, he's not there, he's not present with them, trying to convince them to don't leave the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't leave that grace and that mercy. Don't fall for it. Um, Paul will talk about Pharisees and Sadducees, which are the ones that are coming in to do this to the Galatians. These are Gentiles, um, but they don't know any better. And so Paul is trying to teach them that, look, I, I know what they're trying to teach you, and I've been where they are, and I've graduated. <laughs> I counted all as dung, everything, and they're trying to bring you into that heap, and you don't need to follow them there. And he's trying to convince them, and he's given them much of his credibility, his uh, background, um, with just such an impassioned plea for them. And so I hope we hear that because it isn't the main problem that we have as Christians. Our main problem is our own flesh. That's the biggest battle that we all carry with us. But this legalism does uh, poke the flesh. It encourages it. You know, The flesh is the battle. It's war between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh wants to do what it wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to lead and guide. You'll even struggle with it tonight sitting here. <laughs> You'll battle things, uh, focusing, listening, keeping your mind attentive to the scriptures, trying to worship with your ears and your eyes, you know, and your flesh will want to take you over here, over there, and you've got to pull yourself back. That's a battle that we all have. Legalism touches a part of us that uh, was to be left behind when we came to Christ. Uh, the idea of uh, competition religion, that's all legalism is. Um, and the ones that are teaching the Galatians this, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, of course, they're the Olympic, the Olympians of legalism. So, of course, they're like, hey, you want to race, you know. Well, no, I don't want to race, you know. You hold the world record for legalism. How in the world could I compete? Well, you probably can't, but want to race? Yeah. I, I laugh sometimes as I see uh, parents, adults, racing children, no matter where it is in the pool or on the soccer field or whatever, and they can't let the kid win. They just can't do it. And it's so awkward to watch them run and say, like they've accomplished something, you know. And it looks foolish to me as I watch that, and I, I smirk and smile and keep it in my, well, I, sometimes I keep it inside, sometimes I don't. That's what's happening here to the Galatians. They have a beautiful, simplistic, childlike faith in Jesus Christ. And the legalists, they don't understand it, first of all. They don't understand what these Galatians have. And they desperately want to be winning. And they're willing to do anything it takes to be on top. And, they, and Paul doesn't like that. As a spiritual father, he doesn't like that. So in verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. 
That's a bold statement to look at someone and say, if you try to justify your life by good deeds and by works and by keeping the law, if that's how you're trying to approach God, then you have become estranged from Christ. Christ is a stranger to you. His cross and the, and the, and the sacrifice that was given at the cross is no longer yours. You forfeited that. What the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Judaizers, the circumcisers are trying to do is try to go Jesus plus the law in approaching God. So let me start off with this before we get too far into this. I am not opposed to the law. The law is the characteristics of God. They're beautiful. They're perfect. And they're there to show us how far we are from his character. That's all the law is for. It was a tutor to bring us to a saving grace in Jesus Christ. I cannot attain that. I cannot match up to those 10 or many, many others. Therefore, I need a savior. What is my options here? I'm guilty. I've broken them. And that's to lead us to the salvation that God has provided through Jesus Christ. That That is our lifeboat. That is our preserver. That is how we get to heaven. That's how we approach God through Christ. What they're saying is, yes, 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 but also this. Paul's saying, no, 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 it's either or. You cannot have them both. So when I say, uh, and when we talk about the law here, it's, it's in the approaching of God through the keeping of the law that is unacceptable for the Christian. You cannot approach God or become righteous in his eyes by keeping the law. Should we keep the law? Absolutely. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't covet another man's wife or anything that he has. You shouldn't do any of those things. You shouldn't murder. None of those things are appropriate for the Christian. So should we keep the law? Absolutely. But that's not how we approach Christ. That's not how we approach heaven. That's not how we get in the, in, into God and with God. So Paul's encouraging them. I want you to stand fast where you are. What they're trying to, what, what he's saying here is you're being moved away from liberty and liberty is a very powerful, um, a powerful thing that God has given us is liberty. And of course, that is the religious, that is the, the legalist's biggest fear is that you'll use your liberty for sin. If you tell people that by keeping the law, they can't approach God, that they're already in God's presence or hidden in Christ, in faith in Jesus Christ, does that mean that they're going to and can do anything they want to do and they still are acceptable to God? That's the biggest fear. And so the legalists come in and say, yes, that's great. Grace is great. Liberty is great. But, and then they try to put them in bondage again. Um, I don't know the right way to say this without being misunderstood, but I'll, I'll say it. God is very much very much in favor of choice, our choices. He wants us to choose to love him. He wants us to choose righteousness. He gives us, even in the Old Testament, that there's, a, there's a way of death, there's a way of life. Choose life. I, I want you to. He, he tells us his preference. He tells us what's best for us. He, tells us, he does everything he can to let us know, ah, you know, over here. But the choice is still ours. The choice has got to be there. Otherwise, it's not love has to be the choice. Otherwise, there is no love. It's the exact opposite of love. It's bondage. You can't handcuff your wife to the, to the, I don't know what you'd handcuff her to, the kitchen sink or something like that and say, gosh, I love you. And I can see that you love me too because you haven't left. You know? <laughs> oh, let me see that key, you know? <laughs> You'll see how much I love you. Well, that's what God has done. He set us free and given us liberty. The door is wide open to walk away. I want you to choose to stay with me. I want you to choose to be with me because there's nothing unattractive about God. There's nothing. So Paul finds himself in the awkward position of saying, God is really, really attractive. He's given us liberty through Christ. It's made us free. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The freedom that the religious folks, the legalists believe that's taken place is freedom to sin. What Paul is referring to is, no, you misunderstand. God has given us freedom not to sin. For example, it's, it's unlocked something for us. 
This grace, this faith that we have in Jesus Christ has unlocked an opportunity that we didn't have before. Before, there was no possible way for us to please God in the law. Absolutely not, because everything we did in the law was self-motivated and selfish. Because I keep the law because I want to be in good graces, because I want to go to heaven. Therefore, my motives are personal. There's nothing to do with the other person or with God at all. It has to do with me saving my neck. And so therefore, everything I ever did before Christ was always self-motivated. Anything I did good. It ruins it. The motives are wrong. Christ has given us free to not sin, but now also Because he's given us salvation, because we're no longer earning salvation, because it's handed to us, because it's given to us in Christ, we are now free to, well, we can actually bless somebody and it really doesn't help us at all in our salvation. It doesn't move us closer to God. It doesn't give us any more access than we already have. We now have the opportunity for the first time in Christ to actually be a blessing to somebody without any selfishness involved. Because I don't have to do it, but I choose to. Paul says, you've been freed up. Now, if you go back to the law, you're putting yourself under that bondage again. Now, everything you do is tainted. You become circumcised, and circumcision isn't the goal, although for the Judaizers, you cut off the foreskin, they're good to go, they walked away, that was it. That's all they needed to do was get another foreskin in their, a notch in their belt, you know. They never followed up, they never stayed with them, they never encouraged them in this religion in this legalism, they just whack. All right, we got another one. Another Gentile saved. Really? So although it, the circumcision is merely a, um, an outward example of and your, your acknowledgement that you accept the legal obligation you have to keep the law. That's all it was for. Paul's saying, if you get circumcised, you are making a choice. You are choosing the law path to get to God, and you are estranging, you are becoming a stranger to Christ. He is no longer yours. The the grace and and, and the mercy at the cross is no longer valid for you. You are now choosing this path. That's what it means. And he just wants them to understand that. When you choose and accept what they're teaching you about legalism, that's your new path. This is no longer an option for you. It profits you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law, not just circumcision. See, that's what they thought. You know, look, look at me, I'm circumcised. I hope they didn't do that a whole lot. But look, it's done, you know. We have a lot of things that we can add to our walk with Jesus that we can display for people to see, to prove that we're truly Christians. Your Christianity is only validated by your actions. It's not by your words. And it's not by what you carry. It's not by the cross around your neck. It's not how big your Bible is. It's not how many scriptures you've memorized. That has nothing to do with your walk with Jesus. Your walk with Jesus is your actions, how you carry yourself. But we can do that. We can put these things out there for us. We have several things. I tell you, it's one of the hardest things we've had to do as a church is to stay focused on grace. The hardest thing. There's a constant pressure to add, a constant pressure to add to it. I don't know what it is. I mean, I do know what it is, but you wouldn't think that would be the battle, but I'm not going to even give you examples, but you can come up with them on your own. Go through all the Christian denominations that there are in Christianity, the denominations, and see If you can think of anything that's been added, oftentimes you can go by their names alone to salvation, to faith in Jesus Christ and this, faith and this, faith and this, do these things, show up at these times, so many things. Be so careful to keep that liberty. You wouldn't think it would be hard, but boy, as we've been walking in our country the last few years, Interesting, isn't it, how hard it is to keep liberty? Who wouldn't want to be free? We got people all over the place raising their hands saying, please lock us up. Please bind us up. Please don't give me the opportunity to choose. I don't want that choice. Just tell me what to do. I need a master. (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? It is. It's a constant battle. Everywhere. 
And I don't see a distinction since our country was founded upon this faith in Jesus Christ and the freedom and the liberty. And you read all of our wonderful documents from our founding fathers, and you'll see it over and over and over, the echoes and the shadow of the Bible throughout. It's no wonder that that gets attacked not only in government and not only in civil life, but also in our walk with Jesus, in our personal relationship with Christ. Legalism comes in. Very dangerous. Where did circumcision come from? It's in Genesis 17. I'm not going to read it to you. Verses 1 through 14. We're not going to have enough time to hit all these because they're very long cross-references. But we do need to be thorough. Genesis 17, Abram was his name at the time had already been accounted as righteous back in Genesis 15. Because he believed God, it says, and he believed God, Abraham or Abram believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That's past. That's in Genesis 15. Two chapters later, 17, a covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham after that. He says, I want this to be between you and my people. Anybody that's born in your house, any male, needs to be circumcised. Anybody that you buy or anybody that comes in into your employment, becomes a part of your group, your tribe or whatever, circumcised also. I want that to be the emblem. I want them to know this is what we do. But that isn't for justification. The justification happened by faith two chapters earlier. It had nothing to do with that. In John chapter 3, verse 18, it has to do with believing. In Genesis 15, it says, He believed the Lord. Fast forward to the New Testament, John 3, 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. It's all about the believing. It has nothing to do with the outward work of the flesh. Never has. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That is the only reason people go to hell is they have not accepted and believed on the way of salvation that God has provided. No. And saying no to the way of faith, to the way through Jesus Christ on the cross, is to say yes to the path of righteousness through works. And you've already failed that. That's all the law was supposed to do. You go through the Ten Commandments and Jesus magnified them. Hmm, have I done that? Have I had no other gods? Have I ever thought of a woman in that way or a man in that way? Because that's committing adultery right there. You don't even have to go through the act. It's the thinking of it, Jesus said. I've ever been hateful in my heart towards somebody. That's as good as breaking the commandment of murder. And as Jesus brings us through all these things, that's what struck Paul so much. I can I cannot murder somebody. I'm really good at that. Yesterday I didn't murder anybody. You know, well, I wanted to. Jesus says you're guilty then, but I didn't do it. Doesn't matter your heart. That's what we're working on. And Paul says, well, how in the world can I scrub my heart? How do I clean that? How do I fix that? How do I stop that from happening inside of me? He says, you can't. Sin nature. Something I have to do. That's what leads us to this beautiful opportunity through Jesus. Belief is the key, not circumcision is the point. So Paul says, please stand fast. Don't fall from grace. Oftentimes we use that term fall from grace to mean they've sinned. You know, he's a believer. Oh, and then he fell off the wagon and he went off and did like he used to. He's fallen from grace. No, he's fallen into grace at that point. He's got unmerited favor from God. That's regardless of how you behave that day. Every time I baptize somebody, I try to explain that to them. Hey, remember the day, remember all this, because it ain't always going to be like this. I mean, I try not to be a Debbie Downer at the baptism, but I know what awaits them in the weeks, months, and years ahead in their walk with Jesus, and there are going to be some bad, sinful days ahead of them. I wish there weren't. I wish it was like that. Magically, you go under and you come out, and it's like, man, you're shining and you've got wings now, you know, kind of thing. That's not how it works. You make a commitment that my old flesh is dead. I rise to new life in Christ, and I'm going to live for him and give it to him. But I also know that I'm saved by Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy for me. And that's how I'm going to heaven. So my salvation is secure. And on my bad days, I remember that I'm saved by grace, not by my deeds. Grace is everything. It's not the only thing. It's, it's everything. 
So Paul tries to explain to them in that verse 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That's what we're waiting on. We've reckoned the old man dead, but boy, he sure is alive in my life. When When we're with the Father, that sin nature doesn't follow us. It's done. The battle's over. There is no more being torn between two worlds. It's over with. Paul says that's what we're waiting on, but we wait by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And so, in other words, he tries to take that completely out of the equation. You can't walk around uncircumcised and say, I'm holier than you because I believe in grace better than you because I never got circumcised. No, 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 it doesn't matter. Well, I got circumcised. That means I'm also kind of Jewish and I'm also kind of Gentilian. Made that up. Therefore, I'm super saved. I'm like, got best of both worlds. He's like, no, that doesn't make any difference. That doesn't matter anymore. Quit looking down is the idea. It doesn't matter. Verse 7. You can hear his heart here, can't you? You ran well. You're doing so good. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. That's a pretty bold statement because he's saying it doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Mad. I hope they're judged. I hope God gets them. I hope he stops them. I want them stopped. He's going to say some other things here in the next two verses that are pretty... Descriptive and colorful. I appreciate Paul. I like descriptive and colorful. His question here in verse 7 was who? It's the Pharisees. Jesus warned of the same thing in Matthew 16. It's a long cross-reference, but bear with me. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples that he's bringing them to this age of grace and to this place of mercy. He says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, Jesus, Ask that he would show them a sign from heaven. Prove that you're the son of God. Do, do a trick. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say the, uh, it will be fair weather for the sky is red in the morning. It will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeked after a sign. No sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. Jesus was mad. Verse 5, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we forgot the bread. Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, oh, you have little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand and remember the five loaves, the 5,000, how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000, how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Here's the key. Then Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine or the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus was fighting this from the very beginning. Watch out for these teachers that are trying to teach you. It's leaven. What's leaven? It's like yeast. It is yeast. but That's the idea. Let me give you some examples. This is another long cross-reference, but we need to be thorough. Why is this so important? In Exodus chapter 12, it's the Passover. This is when the nation of Israel is about to be released from Egypt. If you remember what Paul's been talking about, our walk with God is much like us following Moses, Jesus, out of the world, leaving Egypt behind, walking with him into a, a place of promise. If we just stay with him and follow him by faith, he's going to get us there. Regardless of what we think, he's going to get us there. If we don't have fear, and we just follow him. That's the picture. Well, the night before they go, God is going to give his 10th plague where the, 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 the firstborn son is going to die in Egypt. After this firstborn son dies, then the freedom comes right afterwards and they're released to walk and follow Jesus. You see the picture here, right? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's a new start, a new year. 
This is the month it all starts. This wasn't their first month before, but it is now a whole new era for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to his father's, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him uh, and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man uh, need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. Now you shall keep it on the, till the 14th uh, day of the same month. Then the whole assembly, the congregation of Israel, shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintels of the houses where they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it. With a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, you shall eat it with haste, speedily. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Do you see the picture? I mean, we get it, right? Everybody that doesn't do this lamb thing, anybody that doesn't take the lamb, the lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood in the doorpost, then their firstborn dies. So the firstborn is going through and dying all over Egypt, and only those that do this are protected as a sacrifice, as a substitutionary death. Instead of the people inside, it's the lamb that dies. Instead of the people inside, we get it, right? I want you to be ready for this, and I want you to do this. Anybody, anybody could have done this, including Egyptians. Anybody could have done this. It didn't just apply to the Israelis, or the Jews. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, the Passover feast. You shall keep it as a feast and everlasting ordinance. Now, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. Whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them. You cannot work. But that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. On the same day, I have brought you your armies out of brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations, the first month of the fourteenth day of the month of eating unleavened bread. This is amazing. Focus, focus, focus. Why? The leaven always represents the sin. A little bit of leaven, he says. Leaven's the whole lump. There, we just read that in verse nine. Don't you know? You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You put a little bit of this leaven in your life, a little bit of this Pharisee and Sadducee doctrine into your life. It's going to ruin everything, not just that portion, but it's going to affect your entire life. Don't do it. There can be no leaven. There can be no legalism in the life of a Christian. Keep it away from you. You know, some people make it that a law. Okay, really, really? No, it's resting. It's relaxing. It's peaceful, this walk with Jesus. You will recognize it. This is what bothers me about this chapter in this whole book, is the Galatians are supposed to be spiritful believers. And I, I know the Holy Spirit, and hopefully you know the Holy Spirit. You get that check in your spirit. You know this doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. There's something off about this. I can't put my finger on it, but I just, my gut says no. That's the Holy Spirit. I guarantee they had that feeling. I guarantee when these legalists came in, they're like, this just doesn't sound like what we heard. This doesn't sound right. I don't feel comfortable with it. But somewhere between that gut, that Holy Spirit saying, mm, these knives are not for me. This doesn't come from me. They bought it. 
Something about this appealed to their flesh in such a way that they were willing to compromise this grace and mercy and faith that they had. They were willing to go this route. And I don't know what it was. We love competition. It probably started off with some of the guys that were still a little bit legalistic in Galatia saying, oh, good. I don't feel bad about that anymore. I can really strive for legalism. And of course, you don't say those things out loud, but I can ask everybody and say, how come you weren't at synagogue last Saturday? I was, you know. You weren't there. Are you reading the King James Bible? Because I do. Sorry. (laughs) Were you immersed? You were baptized? Were you sprinkled? Shifty little eyes looking back and forth. Careful. Careful. Watch out for that. It's a threat. It's a danger for all of us. And Paul says, just, just stay where you are. If we could just remember where we came from and how it all started with God, are we now going to be perfect, perfected in the flesh? Of course not. Verse 11. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I, why do I still suffer persecution? Why are they always after me if I'm on board with this doctrine? No doubt that's how they sold it to the Galatians. No, Paul, Paul teaches circumcision. No, I don't. That's why you hate me. Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I underlined that. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Colorful. They've already been circumcised, so you know what they're talking about, right? I wish they'd just slip. He's mad. As an exclamation point there. He is emphatic about this. The people that are bringing this to you, it's false doctrine. It doesn't come from God. It's not of the Spirit. It nullifies what Christ did on the cross from you. It puts you back into bondage. In a sense, it puts you back in hell's path. You can see how serious this is. This is not a light thing. Faith is liberty. And liberty is a stumbling block. It causes them to trip up. It offends them. The cross is offensive. In Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, Paul writing, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Jesus Christ bothered the religious rulers. He was offensive. It's why he got killed. It's why they murdered him. It's why they put him on the cross. He he didn't do anything but preach peace. He healed people. The only thing he did was made their rat race of religiosity void. The black coats and the black robes didn't matter anymore. Their position in the synagogue didn't matter anymore. Everybody was equal. Everybody had access to God the same way and were just as righteous as the next person sitting next to them. And that drove him crazy. He was a stumbling block and offensive. Grace is offensive. Faith is offensive. What do you mean that's all you got to do? There's got to be more. I ran into some sweet older saints an older woman in the Lord. Well, I thought she was sweet. And she meant well. And I think this is the struggle for every Christian, and maybe you're going through it right now, but her comment to me was, as we were talking about grace, was that that's cheap grace. That was a new phrase for me. I didn't grow up with that. I mean, I grew up in Lutheran, so I didn't know any of this stuff. What? What does cheap grace mean? And she explained to me, you know what she believed cheap grace was. And in other words, there seem to be some, there needs to be some requirements on our part. There needs to be some duty, some things we need to, and I'm like, oh, honey, I mean, you're older and I need to be respectful and all that, but no, what you're worried about is people having liberty. You're worried about freedom. You're worried about what they might do with it. And I can understand that. That is a fear. Any parent, you know, you know at the age of 16, as they hand the car keys over to the kids, you know to drive the speed limit, right? You know, let me put a tracker on you. <laughs> no. How do my kids learn grace? Oh, this makes me upset. I struggle with this because my kids have cell phones. They have smartphones, right? 
You know, they've got software for that. And you can put watchdog or bark dog on your thing, and it'll alert you when your kids are looking at, can I do that? I struggle with that. No, I don't want them tripping up or falling into, or when I told them not to have them at night or watch them at night or look at it at night or you know, put them down for this amount of time, I want them to do it because I've said so, not because I've got watchdog and it's going to let me know when you don't. I watched that at Christmas time. A funny post about a guy who put a fake camera on his wall and let him know to his kids, Santa's watching you all the time. The kids were folding laundry and being nice to each other, and he was so pleased with himself. Oy vey. As if the fat man isn't bad enough to take some of the emphasis off of Jesus Christ. Now we've got him watching you in your home, completely going against the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no grace. There's fear. There's intimidation. There's watchful eyes. There's, you know, dangerous. How easy we can slip into it. You're like, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to fall into that trap. No, I can't put a software app on my kid's phone. I don't know if they're going to sin or not. It'll be their choice. I've, we have limits. We have things we, t- you know, we leave them here, do that. I mean, we do, our, we do our job as parents. Don't get me wrong. I don't throw them to the wolves to see if they'll survive. No. But I have got to teach them what grace looks like, what liberty looks like. Liberty means you have a choice to sin. And you need to learn how to walk with God and not walk because the law told you not to do it. But because you love him so much, I don't want to do it. I don't want my kids obeying me and doing chores because I'm going to beat them senseless if they don't. I want them to do it because dad needs help. Mom needs help. This is my part. I want to be a part of the family. I love our family. I want to do it. I want to do it with happy hearts. I don't want to scare them into it because I'm trying to teach them a much, much bigger lesson. They're going to have to be adults and they're going to have to figure out when no one's watching and their character is by themselves and there's no accountability with any accountability partner. Who you are right then in the dark by yourself is who you are. You need to have that relationship with God on your own at that point. It cannot be micromanaged. It can't be managed. It's got to be from the heart. So the fear is this liberty is going to cause people. And so therefore, it's a stumbling block. The religious ruler says, if we tell them that they're okay with God, no matter what they do, what are they going to do with that? I don't know. It'll be up to them. Again, our relationship with God is not contractual. It's not. We've married him. I'm not married to Jenny because of the piece of paper we signed that day. I'm married to Jenny because I love her. She loves me. I respect her. I care for her. I listen to her. She listens to me. We talk. We fellowship. We're intimate with one another because we love each other. Not because, oh, yeah, forgot that paper says I got to be faithful to you you or whatever. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. Although that's an important piece of paper. Don't get me wrong. I'm not throwing that out. Somebody say, so the piece of paper doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. You need to get married. All right. Very important. But that's not what keeps me there with God or with my wife. Neither should it be the way it is with Jesus. I love Jesus. I worship and sing songs to Jesus, not because everybody else in the room is doing it. I don't raise my hands because the song told me to, although tonight the song told me to and reminded me to, so I put my hand up. Yeah, that's right. I can do that. You know, a little Pentecostal. It's okay. You know, I do it because I love him, and I want him to know how much I love him. We raise our hands to God, not so that everybody can see us. Some people do. They like to do this and see, be in the front row and let everybody see him. You know, jumping jacks. No, you just raise your hands because I'm, I'm all yours. I'm surrendered. I'm, I'm all yours. I want you to know that. I love you. you know? It's from love. That's worship. Otherwise, it's, it's an attendance. and That's not worth it. That's not what God wants. Seven minutes, I can do it.
We can do it. Okay, it's those long cross-references that are getting me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. For Christ did not send me to baptize, Paul says, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved by it, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And I think that is the biggest problem with the with the legalist is that they don't understand grace. They don't understand what it is. They either haven't experienced it, they've never tried it, but they don't understand that grace keeps you. And that is the only path to holiness is through grace. The legalist wants, I want a church where everybody dresses appropriately. Everybody talks the way they're supposed to talk. Nobody's doing wrong things. None of you. How do I go about that though? As a pastor, we have meetings with you every quarterly, you know, promissory statements that you've made that you've signed, purity statements. I want you all to sign these purity statements. It's a contract, you know, donation statements. I might, I'm considering, no, I'm kidding. You know, you, pre, you pledged, you know, kind of thing. No, 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 no. The only way a fellowship becomes holy, the only way a, a way a person becomes holy it's by grace, by loving God. If I, have a, if I understand the love of God towards me, my love for him is automatically given back. It's returned because I can't believe you love me and I know who I am. You ever look at your spouse and wonder? You were just, we were just talking about that last Sunday. You know, I know how beautiful my wife is. I know who she is. I know who I am. I don't know why she's with me. I don't tell her, you know, kind of thing. When you see God, when you see Jesus, and you look at him, you're like, you're perfect, you're loving, you're gracious, you're merciful. I mean, you're all gushy over me. You know? you th- your thoughts towards me are as the sands of the sea, and they're precious, and you love me. And I'm looking at myself saying, what in the world is he seeing? How? I'll take it. And now I just sing a song to him back. Oh, how we love you. Near as much as you love us, but oh, how we love you. You know, it's just automatic. And then my behavior changes because I'm with the one I love. Not because I'm supposed to or hell's waiting for me. He's dangling me. He's got a hammer over my head. What a horrible, what a horrible way to live your life. Paul's like, I taught you grace. I taught you faith. These guys have ruined it or they're ruining it, but I have faith. I have confidence in you. In Christ, I have confidence in you. If you're in Christ, I have confidence in you. You're going to figure this out and do the right thing. So important. For you, brethren, verse 13, have been called to liberty. It's a calling. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware that you be consumed by one another. That's what will happen. I'm going to work my way backwards to this. If you guys go down this religious road, that's all you'll be doing. You're going to be a church full of sin sniffers. And everybody's going to smell worse than you. And you're going to let them know it. And they're going to let you know it. And when you point out their sin, they're going to make sure and point out your two sins. Then you're going to point out their three sins. And you're going to devour one another. You're going to eat yourself up with judgment. Don't do it. Don't go down there. It's all fulfilled in one. There's one commandment, Paul says, that hangs. Everything rests upon this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's not even part of the ten, by the way. Gotta keep the ten commandments. The, the two that Jesus mentioned, those aren't, in, those aren't in the ten commandments. What are the greatest commandments, Jesus says? Well, we're going to read them here in a minute. Paul is going to move down to one commandment. Jesus moved it down to two commandments. It started off with 10 commandments, and you can see the funnel. And I'm going to explain to you why and how. Um, Let me start off with this. I wrote these things down so I wouldn't forget to say them. Faith in Jesus has unlocked the opportunity to please God through actions motivated by faith and not selfishness. Access to God by the law has cut off that opportunity to serve others with the correct motives of selflessness. Okay? And we talked about that earlier. 
Coming to God by faith has opened the door for us to be a blessing to others because you love them, not because it makes you look good. So the first 10 commandments are in Exodus 20, verses 3 through 17. Hopefully you know them. If you don't, you can read them. That's too long to read tonight, so I'm not going to. Jesus takes it down to Matthew 22, 36 through 40. That's where he's asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now that bothered them. The two that he picked aren't a part of the ten. They're not even, they're new, you know. Um, he says, no, I'll just sum it up for you, these two. Now how can Paul then be so arrogant as to say, no, no, Jesus is not two, it's only one. Well, it comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. How can you move from two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself? How can you bring that down to just love your neighbor as yourself? 1 John 4, 20. If someone says, John says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You want to love God? You're going to love people. You don't love people, you don't love God. You cannot please God by hating people. You can't. You can't love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength by hating people. It's impossible. John says you got to love people, and that's how you show God his respect that he's due, the love that he deserves is by loving people. That's how Paul can break it down to this one commandment. All of it hangs on this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you're under this legalism. You can't. And that's what Paul's afraid of. This is how. This is how you're to use your liberty, your freedom. The freedom you've been given is, yeah, you could still sin. You could still choose to do whatever you wanted to do. But you now have the opportunity to choose to love your neighbor, even though it's not going to help you at all in your righteousness. And that's a beautiful thing. For Christ so loved the world and he didn't need to do this. He's the creator. He was fine by himself with he and the Holy Spirit. Could have blinked us out of existence and started, existence and started again. Almost did with Noah, didn't he? Could have, but didn't. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He demonstrated his love for us. I made a choice. I chose to love you, even though you were still my enemies. I chose to save you, even though I didn't have to. I chose to do that. I want you to do the same thing, but you cannot love others like Christ loved us unless we have that choice. That's what liberty's for. You can gossip about people, you can talk about them behind their back, or you can build them up and encourage others to help them. Be a blessing. You can point out faults in everybody else, or you can point out their successes. It's up to you. You can have kind words for people, or you can have not so kind words for people. An interesting inter interaction at the post office. The post office is not getting any faster. And I walked in, and thank goodness I had the right heart because it doesn't always go like this. I'm tooting my horn tonight because I did the right thing, so that's the story you're going to hear. But I honestly wasn't in a hurry. I didn't have anything else to do. That was my last stop. You come, when you live in Hopkins, you got stops, and then you get home. You know, so this is my last stop for the day, and it's 2 o'clock. I'm okay filling out some paperwork and getting ready. And I was in there and then three or four more people come in and they're, they're watching me fill out my, my paperwork. And I'm like, I wonder if I could, you know, skip ahead of this guy or not. He's not even looking, you know, they're sneaking me. I mean, and I just, I alleviated them of the fear. Go ahead. I'm going to be a while. Go ahead. And then this lady, she got dropped off by the Oats bus. And so she was interesting character. This person was, didn't understand was there taking a very long time. In fact, at one point says, can I call them? I can't read. And makes a phone call to her friend to get the right address while everybody's waiting in line. Right? And I'm over there still filling my paperwork. And I saw that lady just shoot by me because she was so excited to get in front of me. And she sat there. I could hear the breathing, you know, <sighs> huffing and the puffing. I'm like, everybody in this room has the opportunity to figure out what's happening here with this lady, that she's just working it out. She's being independent. She's trying her hardest. She's trying to be careful. She's very careful. 
you know, with everything, zipping and putting everything away like it's supposed to before she leaves the counter. Everybody's like, just get out of the way. You know, you could feel the tension. Everybody did great. And you know what broke my heart? Because I was watching it all. I'm like, oh, someone's going to explode. I'm just waiting for Karen to pop up. You know, who's going to do it? I was going to get my cell phone out to watch this all go down. I, I didn't decide And nobody Karened out on him. If your name's Karen, I apologize. And this lady walks past this super old guy who couldn't even stand anymore. He'd been waiting so long. He's leaning against the window. Super old guy. Got this ball. Got this scully cap on, you know? Who wears a scully cap? This more scully cap. He's sitting over there. And she walks by. She goes, hello, Mr. So-and-so. How are you? And has this beautiful conversation with this old guy that nobody was given the time of day to. This lady that was holding everybody up. And I'm watching this going, oh, I'm so glad. Everybody was glad nobody blew their top as they all watch this lady show kindness and love and melt this old, well, hello, Judy, or whatever her name was. You know, Oh, it's good to see you again. Oh, yeah, I've missed seeing your kids and all that outside in the yard. And we're all watching this going, oh, my gosh, it's like Christmas didn't happen. It's like we forgot joy, happiness, and Savior stuff. And everybody was convicted. We all went through the line like we're supposed to. We have choices to make. Just got to make the right ones. God gives us liberty to care and out. We can relax. What's the big hurry? And one of the ladies that snuck behind me, she didn't get permission. She just went behind me. That's her ass. She got done. She goes, thank you. I had an appointment. And she ran off. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. I'm a really good person. You know, (laughs) it's funny. We're not going to finish. I don't think we can. Best to do this the right way. Let's wait till next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to truly get it in our hearts and understand it, God. We want to live it. We want to be it. Um, we want to walk by faith. God, keep us from legalism. That Just that competition that we strive for in our walk with you to look better, or act better, or be better than anybody else around us, Lord. We just... Um, we just want to walk with you and be like you and be the hands and feet of Christ wherever we go. And uh, I just pray that you help us to do that. Lord. Bless these folks as they go. Lord, bless their uh, travels home in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.